Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, the Star Trek podcast on the Heroes Podcast Network. I am Derek, your regular host, and I have with me one of our guest hosts, Ray. Sup, dudes? What's up? We are here to talk about three, that's right, three episodes of Short Treks, because things came up and we didn't have time to record before now. So, Ray, you've done all the short tracks discussions with me. Yes, I have. So far. So, we're going to keep that trend to close out season two. So, we will be talking Ephraim and Dot, The Girl Who Made the Stars, and Children of Mars. You rhymed. I did. That was not on purpose, but that's, you know, they named the episode. So, we're going to be talking about all three of those. So, this is your spoiler warning for those three episodes of Short Trek season two. Uh, we are not going to be covering any Picard stuff, news-wise, premiere-wise, um, in this episode. The premiere, we're recording this a little bit late this week, so the premiere actually was last night in L.A., and there's lots of news that came out of that. We will talk about some of this next week when Greg is back. Um, we're, we are going to wrap up all of our Picard discussion conversations before the show kicks off. So... If you're interested in Picard stuff, please check out our nine-episode miniseries, Prepping for Picard, where uh, Ray and I went through 20 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation, which I picked as my top 20 quintessential Picard episodes. Okay, so we are going to kick things off then. Uh, we're just going to do these in order. So the first one on the list um, is... Ephraim and Dot, I believe, or, well, maybe not. Is it The Girl Who Made the Stars? They both released on the same day. They did, but according to Memory Alpha, The Girl Who Made the Stars is episode four. Okay, so well, then we'll talk that one. We'll talk that one first. So, okay, so The Girl Who Made the Stars, um, the fourth episode of Short Trek season two here. Now, this is animated, just like Ephraim and Dot is, but the animation is different. So let's start there, because this is the first animated Star Trek that we have had since the early 70s, uh, which is a pretty big deal for the franchise. So, Ray, thoughts on the animation style in The Girl Who Made the Stars? It's very cute. It reflects a lot of the current 
children's novels or not novels, I guess, but little teaching books around, you know, the the slightly bigger head, bigger eyes to appear, have things appear more cutesy. It's huge in illustration right now. And I loved it. I thought it was adorable. Yeah, it was really cute. It reminded me kind of of like Pixar. Yeah, a little stuff, bit. Um, which, you know, is, is not necessarily good or bad. It just depends on your preference, I guess. Um, I really liked it. I thought the animation was very sharp. I agree. Um, really professionally well done. It wasn't sloppy or poorly edited or anything. I wasn't sure what to expect since Star Trek hasn't touched animation in so long. Um, I'm going to guess that this is closer to the Nickelodeon show than Ephraim and Dot's animation is because um, Ephraim and Dot is a different type of animation and we'll get to that. So um, I expect the Nickelodeon show to use um, so they already said it's a CGI animation. Right. Um, so I expect it to be somewhere between this and the Ninja Turtles cartoon. Okay. That is on right now. Then I think that's a fair in there. assumption. Yeah. So let's talk about the episode then. So um, the whole episode is kind of wrapped around a bedtime story that Michael Burnham's dad is telling her because she is afraid of the dark. Yeah. And so this episode has the unique advantage of not having to really be tied to the Star Trek universe or canon or any of those conversations. All it does is just give us a little bit more insight into who Michael Burnham is and who she was before her parents seemingly passed away. Yeah, it's um, very cute, right? Because, you know, parents, they tell kids little stories to try and make them feel better, right? There's, you know, kids are afraid of the monster under the bed or in the closet, or in this case, she's just afraid of the dark in general. And I like that there's this big detailed story that almost feels like it was like passed down to him, you know, for generations. Yeah. Kind of thing. What did you think of the story itself? Did you? So first and foremost, I I do want to say that I think out of these three short treks, this one's my favorite. It is the one. It's the first trek I've seen that's really fantasy. That's interesting. You know, I mean, I'm sure there are some more. There's you know, holodeck stuff that they could do, but it, it's heavy sci-fi. So this is the first track I've seen that was fantasy. And I connect with fantasy so much. I love magic and uh, how we as a civilization explained science before we knew what science was. Yeah, it's very different. You're right. And I think it gets an advantage because when we get to the next episode, you know, I'm going to be talking about certain things that happen in it as it pertains to the Star Trek universe. This gets to be a fun little story. It's almost like, so you haven't really watched Voyager. No, I haven't yet. Um, but there, there are some children characters on the holodeck that, um, Naomi Wildman interacts with. Okay. And, um, they're, they're kind of based on like 90s children television type characters in a way. That's kind of cute. Um, and it's more fantasy based. Well, to be completely honest, I would watch little short snippets, things like this, of all of the main characters' childhoods. You know, I, I know the JJ movies get a lot of flack, but I truly enjoyed small the small scenes of Kirk and Spock as kids I think 
that these are beloved characters and to understand them as adults seeing small moments in their childhood adds to it and Mm -hmm. if they wanted to do it animation if they wanted to do it live action i would watch it i would enjoy it it doesn't have to be like a full series like the young sheldon i think that's going to get played out but small moments that shows you know how Riker is this way you know what led uh Janeway this way you know it would just be a lot of fun no I think that's a good way to look at it and I I also liked the like the young childhood Spock moments where Mm -hmm. you get to learn a little bit about who he was as a kid because we don't get to see that you know most of our crew are these very upstanding highly intelligent accomplished adults already by the time we meet them which is you know kind of what makes Tilly a little unique because she's still a cadet at least yeah she's still insanely intelligent and and things like that but she's at least like not a seasoned officer right wesley Um, has been her only child like starfleet member i guess or and on tng we do get naomi on on voyager you're right um and you get um jake cisco and yeah that's fair ds9 so there's a little bit here and there um but it's we it's rare that we get to see our main adult characters as children yeah right and so this was kind of a cool opportunity for that and it gets to you to know a little bit about her relationship with her dad which we don't get to know much about because um you know some spoilers for season two of discovery but we know more about her mother than her father yeah right and so we get to you know see her and interact with her a little bit and, and things like that we don't really get much at all from the dad so that was kind of cool um, I thought it was beautiful, though. It's a really good story, and it's executed very well, and it's just it's visually pleasing. And across the board, um, I think they just did a great job with it. Something that I, I like that they did this as an animated thing because it would have been very difficult to do it in live action. I agree. You know, and that's a good excuse. Like, why do animation? Well, in the seventies, they did it because it was actually it was a lot cheaper to produce. Well, if you watch it. It was cheaper because they didn't put the same kind of effort into it. The Star Trek animation was not the same as, you know, the Disney animation at the time. It was comparable to Johnny Quest, where people stand still for a total of three, four minutes of animation. (laughs) A little exaggerated, I think. No, (laughs) no, they don't move or like... So it was just a cheaper way because they didn't put as much motion into it. There's yes. But they could also do more in the seventies with animation than they could in live action. You know, there's yeah. they have these belts that let them go out into outer space and there's you know, more aliens and they have got shuttles and things like that. And so they could just do more. Right. right. And Star um, Trek both benefit it, like there were pros to cons to doing an animated show. There were benefits, there were drawbacks. Well, in this case, I think doing this story live action would have been very difficult to do well. I agree. I do want to point out that I really enjoyed the aspects of the child kind of like fighting back. She gets told mm-hmm. no. And in the end, she she's defiant, <laughs> but not to the point of insubordination or disrespect. And she ends up you know, kind of saving the day for everybody. So it's got this wonderful magic of children theme to it. It's got a great, like, feminist feel. It's just a good short story. 
Yeah, no, I'm with you. It is really good. Um, it is on the shorter side. It is. You know, these um, these short treks, of course, are all supposed to be short, but I feel like they've just gotten shorter and shorter. You know, in season one, stuff was 15, 16, even 18 minutes. Yeah, Calypso was close to 20. And it was, I think it was like 18, 40 or something like mm-hmm. that. And now we've seen all three of these are under nine minutes. Um, and so they're just kind of getting shorter. And, you know, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but, you know, I do want to be able to to get something from these stories this one does a really good job i'm sure this this particular one could be expanded into a full feature length movie it could be something you know like kubo and the two strings where it's kind of an odyssey story or uh, a moana like story i'm sure they could spread it out but i don't think it has to be yeah that's fair okay so anything else on the girl who made the stars it's all downhill from here I, no, I'm I kidding. I don't agree with that. I'm kidding. But, um, my, <laughs> I just already said that this one was my favorite. So, like, I was just making a joke. I, I think they're all... Mine's more good. like a bell curve, so... <laughs> uh, or a, re- a reverse bell curve. So, okay, so we're going to talk... That's a bowl. That's a, a bell bowl. bowl. This is a bowl curve. Um, so next up, then, is Ephraim and Dot, yes. which um, is a more traditional animation style, which is much closer to what I expect from the Lower Decks show that we're supposed okay. to get later this year. Um, we've seen just some stills from Lower Decks, and um, this this episode kind of mixes some animations. So it has um, some cool kind of 3D effects you'd see like in Futurama, but they also kind of have some older style animation for the char- the, uh, the human characters when they show up in the background. Right. So, um, okay. So, yeah. So this is your spoiler warning then for Ephraim and Dot. So Ephraim and Dot focuses on a tardigrade. And a repair droid, repair drone, I guess. We can't use droid. It's Star Trek. It's a drone. Um, And the two of them interacting with each other over the course of several minutes, uh, our time, or in the case of this episode, uh, 35-ish years. Um, And I have a lot of problems with this episode. So... It's adorable. The yeah, the tardigrade nice. is really cute. Uh, I love the tardigrade. I love the the the, the robot. Um, it's really beautiful. I gotta ask because I don't remember which one's Ephraim and which one's Dot. <laughs> Dot's the robot. Are you sure? I like just why we don't get to know? They don't Ephraim talk is to a male name and it's a female tardigrade. She had eggs. Like I just figured Dot, like Dot Matrix, like space balls or something. Oh my god! But I didn't really think about it too much. You tell us. People, um, I need to know, who do you think is Ephraim and who's Dot? Well, let's see. Uh, no, this, I mean, the, the, the description on Memory Alpha, um, Dot is the, the robot and can, Ephraim is the tardigrade. Can males so. have, can male tardigrade, <laughs> like, have uh, lay eggs? I don't know enough about tardigrade biology about to be sure. Um they do lay eggs even okay. in, in the real world. They do lay eggs and things of that nature. So, and, and the, the number of eggs was kind of comparable. So like that part's all accurate. I don't really know. Okay. Um, the, anything beyond that, but so where do your problems lie then? Okay. So whereas the girl who made the stars doesn't have to adhere to really any star Trek logistical continuity, continuity canon stuff yeah, yeah, at yeah. all. Um, and it can still be this wonderful, lovely story. Ephraim and Dot just totally ignores all sensibility as it pertains to time yeah. at all. Um, so this this episode takes place over the course of 
the original series um and all the way up through star trek 3 the search for spock at least part of it um because we see stuff from really early on in the original series you know khan is there for example yeah um, space seed right? yeah so we we know that at least space seed happens during this time yes um and then at some point the ship blows up the way it does in the search for spock but it's the wrong ship so it's at some point in this like we see it happen where they like end up on a different enterprise and at first i thought it was just like the refit that happens which again is long after the show and it's just before the first movie um but it's not the same enterprise it's not the refit because it has the a on it it's the 1701a so they change ships so the eggs are somehow transplanted to the to another version of the enterprise and even if that's not the case somehow the eggs went through the entire refit unnoticed which i also don't believe is really a feasible thing um it's just kind of all over the place and it plays with time in a way that just doesn't make sense to me. You know, there's nothing about a tardigrade and a repair drone that leads me to believe that they're disconnected from time, you know, and they're together this, this entire time period that has to take place over the course of somewhere between 20 and 35 years. That's a fair issue on two different ships. Yeah. And that kind of bothered me. It was like they threw in these references to episodes and films and stuff in the background to, I guess, give it context, but that actually ruined the story for me. Why? Because if you remove the, all the human elements of it and you just have them chasing each other, right? Then it's this cute little story. That's its own contained thing, but adding in the, like, Oh, here's Khan and Oh, here's the enterprise a, and here's the ship blowing up. Well, now I have to think about when those things actually happened. And I know I, I can guess when this is taking place, and it doesn't line up. It doesn't make any sense. Got it. So okay. that's my rant. That's fair. I wanted to look it up because I know nothing about tardigrades, and I needed to. So I figured out pretty fast why the tardigrades called Ephraim. The uh, zoologist who discovered tardigrades. Uh, his name is Johann August Ephraim Goes. Oh, okay. And he called them little water bears. <laughs> yeah, they are called water bears. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know they are the first and only species from Earth right now that uh, can survive outer space. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea about that. That's kind of cool. Yeah, they can be dehydrated into mm-hmm. like a fossilized state for decades and then be reanimated. They can survive at 304 Fahrenheit a few minutes. They can survive 30 years at minus 4 Fahrenheit a few days at minus 200 uh, and a few minutes at minus 272. They're pretty resilient creatures. They're mm-hmm. very small. And they're found all over the world, like mm-hmm. every continent. It, this is kind of neat. There could be some in our backyard right now because it has been raining and they, awesome. they like water. That's so. Uh, most of them are either water eaters, plant eaters, bacteria eaters, or some are carnivores and they eat other tardigrades. Wow. It's like the, so is that the fire nation then, I guess, of the tardigrades? My God. <laughs> Um, if anyway. you don't listen to Spellbound, I have been doing 
an Avatar rewatch, Avatar The Last Airbender. So that's kind of on Derek's mind because he's been listening and helped me hearing me record. And Spellbound is a fantasy television podcast Woo! that the Heroes Podcast Network produces that Ray hosts. Self-plug. So there you go. Um, okay, so... Um, what about what anything from Ephraim and Dot from your point? Because I really talked most mostly here. So do you have any thoughts? No, like it's just it's really cute. I like when small, cute things interact with each other. I liked that aside from the background audio, the characters never really spoke to each other. And in the end, it was absolutely adorable that Dot saved the tardigrade eggs from the explosion by just housing them. That is cute. And I liked the way it ended. So overall, it was just a really cute story. And I feel bad that, you know, (laughs) you had some issues there with the background and the setting. But, you know, just the two characters were fine. I don't, I don't know why they had to put all that stuff in the background. (laughs) Yeah, it's a little confusing. I mean, even Memory Alpha has this episode taking place between 2267 and 2285. So even that's official. Um, so I guess my, my math is off a little bit on that. So I apologize. But still, almost 20 years <laughs> takes, <laughs> takes place uh, over the course of this episode. Um, one cool little note is um, it was directed by Michael Giacchino. That's awesome. Which is pretty cool. So he is a, uh, a composer and has done the music for all of the Kelvin Star Trek films and has done some music for um, Star Trek um, Discovery and um, other Star Trek pro- uh, productions and things like that. And a t- just a ton of other stuff. Lots of Disney and Marvel and just, yeah, you've, you've heard them. Um, all right. Well, anything else then on Ephraim and Dot? Uh, tardigrades do have sexes. And they do need to mate. However, there are some parthenogenetic ones that don't need to mate. And women will just have eggs. Life finds a way. Life finds a way. Um, If you want to buy me a tardigrade plush, I would greatly appreciate it. (laughs) DM me at Siren Ray. DM me at Siren Ray. Tardigrade plush. Thank you. Wow. Okay. Okay. Moving on then. So we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we will talk about Children of Mars, the one live action short tracks episode that we have to discuss. Okay. Recently on the Heroes Podcast Network, Echo Station. Well, what's the main, what's the main planet that Endor, the forest moon of Endor? It's a moon. So it's, there's a major planet, obviously, that it. Is the forest moon of Endor? Is Endor the actual planet then? See, isn't that confusing? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Is it the forest moon of the planet Indoor, or is it the forest moon called Indoor? Kaiju Curry House. It got to the point where he started climbing the Empire State Building, and my mom is like, he's not going to die, is he? <laughs> oh, no. My mom doesn't know shit about these films. But anyways, it was just like, mom, this doesn't end well for Kong. And she's just like, I can't watch the rest of this. Turn it off. I'm like, you can't get to this point in Peter Jackson's King Kong two hours and like whatever many minutes later and not watch the end. Screen heroes. The nipples just were confusing to me because they just, (laughs) 
They just make no sense. That is our clip, by the way. Uh, uh, but I mean, male nipples are kind of confusing anyway. So. Right? Like, well, they serve true. zero that's purpose. True. Do you think that was the point he was trying to make? <laughs> it's a much deeper message, yes. Is Batman and Robin a heavily An allegory? social allegory? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Subscribe today at heroespodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Podcast Addict, and more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. So we are back. So we've just talked about Ephraim and Dot, as well as the girl who made the stars. And now it is time to move on to Children of Mars. Um, I keep wanting to say Children of Men. That sci-fi movie. I know yeah, it is. Yeah. But I keep wanting to. I apologize. It's all good. So this episode is very interesting. Um, one of the the darker Star Trek moments, and um, it does tie into Star Trek Picard, the series. So that is kind of important and something to be aware of. So Ray, initial impressions or thoughts on this episode? Um, I thought it was incredibly clever to have the tragedy at the end in the background and the focus be two children prior to that that just have you know a couple things in common they clearly go to the same school they're clearly both female identifying and they both have parents who are workers minors whatever their position is on mars yeah, it was um, it was definitely a different way of storytelling for Star Trek. You know, basically everything was happening in the background. Um, and if you don't know what's going on, it's very easy not to understand the context of everything. So what's some important stuff maybe that people may not be aware of is what, what Mars has – Utopia Planitia is a pretty big deal for Starfleet. It's basically where all of the new starships are designed and constructed. Uh, so, you know, there are times where the Enterprise went back, you know, back there for repairs and things of that nature. And um, I have to ask because I'm one of those who isn't quite informed on that as others. What... Like, where is this shown? Is this in a movie? Did I forget? Is this in books or comics or something? Or is it in TV shows? I, I don't know. Like, just the the, the term Utopia. Yeah. It's Do they mentioned. talk about it? Do they see it? It's like, mentioned in shows. Okay. Uh, TNG has mentioned it. DS9 mentions it. It's okay. definitely mentioned. Okay. Um, cool. You don't get to really see it much. I'm trying to remember if you ever actually see it. And I'm drawing a blank at the moment. I feel like you do, but I don't quite remember. So I'm sure someone out there on the Twitterverse or something could tell us cool. at Red Shirts Pod. But it is definitely mentioned multiple times. That's fair. I It couldn't have been a giant plot point throughout 
any episode that I've watched so far. So I think I'm it, it either was spoken in passing or I'm just I haven't seen those episodes yet. Yeah, I, I know. I, I'm pretty sure on Voyager you get to see it partially because um, I'm pretty sure that's where Voyager de- departs um, a couple of times during weird timey wimey stuff. Okay. Um, but yeah. Anyway, anyway so, so it's thank the you for the background. Yeah. So it's a big deal. Um, and so you know, part of it is it's very close to Earth, of course, because that's very important and everything. And so these children are basically at like a boarding school while their parents work at utopia planitia um and you know they have very different relationships with their parents you know and so there's another layer added to that because one of the girls essentially like hangs up on her father and the other one is goofing around you Mm -hmm. can it just feels like one is one talks to her mom every single day probably multiple times and her mom has made it a point to come back you know their relationship is healthy and stuff and the other girl is is not her dad says even on their brief conversation that he can't make it back so you get the feeling that both girls are just ultimately sad that their parents are on a different planet that they're separated from them but one of them is dealing with it differently than the other yeah and so those girls um so uh kima kima is kima and, and lil lil yeah and lil's the one who is arguing with her dad yeah. um and so those are the two of them and of course and they have their own thing lil kind of bullies a little bit and kima, kima fights back fights back yeah she stands up for herself and um you know so i you're kind of designed to root for her in this episode. Um, at least that's what I felt. Um, if we didn't have the conversation between Lil and her father before, I would have thought that Lil was just a bratty kid and I wouldn't have had any sentiment towards her. But because that that's how they open, they want you to care for both of them at least a little yeah, yeah. Um, but I definitely was rooting for Kima. Oh, yeah. Uh, quite a bit of in course. this one. She's um, the more likable character. You know, she doesn't push a kid down and make them miss the, you know. The bus to school. The bus to school, yeah. yeah. Um, so, of course, like the big thing that happens in this episode is that Utopia Planitia is attacked and Mars is essentially leveled by an unknown alien force. This is the big thing. This is absolutely huge. But this is the very end. We, like, we've kind of just gone over this. Kima and Lil spend the entire day going back and forth between classes, between libraries. There's tripping. There's a full-out fight. Lil gets Kima in trouble with her teachers multiple times. So, the like... I don't want to downplay this horrible tragedy of Mars being just completely attacked on so many areas. But at the same time, you're not going to sit through this like nine minute short and see that you're going to see these two girls go back and forth. And at the end, they they hold hands they're they're kind of in like a timeout for their fight and the the tragedy appears on all tvs and everything all screens you know people have little phone like devices and 
the two of them have they hold hands they connect they they want to be there for each other because right now they have no idea if they're ever going to see their parents again or not yeah i mean it's it is it's interesting because of course i i want to talk about the big event right because that's going to impact the larger but that's universe. not but the that's, episode i mean it it's is not. And it isn't. it's um, it's not okay <laughs> I mean, it, it's not the bulk of the episode, but it's the catalyst that causes them to come together, right? And sure. it's causing them to put aside their differences or whatever. And at least each in other, this moment, yeah. You know, um, now I assume that that happens because they know that both of their parents work there. You know, we don't really get to know them ahead of time, so it's it's hard to know what kind of interactions they had prior to this, right? But it seems like they're aware of that. Maybe all of their students or something have that. I don't know. That that seemed a little interesting because from what we gather, how do they know that either of them have anything involved in, in this? Right. Um, but, you know, they do and it's nice and it's sweet. The fights, the fight scene was pretty solid, you know, for those That kids. is how people uh, fight, those, you know, like good. fight choreography is fun and everything punches and kicks. They, they can be really impressive, but that's not how people who are untrained fight in the real world. They grab each other by the shoulders and hair and try to push them down to the ground and keep them there. But it was good. Like it was both actors. I think did a really good job of selling that they really looked like they were brawling with each other and, and, and everything. You know, one of them is an alien species with clear. She's a forehead of the week and she <laughs> Kima and uh, got to give it up to the makeup department because prosthetics makeup. It didn't budge during that. And you know, that a fight, swimming, stuff like that's a true test of the makeup department. Star Trek's gotten good at that. They though, have. Over the years. Well, I noticed that the ones behind it were Glenn Hetrick and Nigel. Oh, my God. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, both of those guys were judges on Face Off, and that's how I got to know them. So, uh, but they've had lucrative careers they they're like some two of the best makeup artists to have ever lived let alone you know work in tv and film well star trek's just used to having aliens have to do physical stuff i mean you look mm -hmm. at the klingons for example and the they're Vulcans fighting and... all the time or the ferengi i get into little scrapes yeah. and things and that, it has to not the fall Romulans, apart yeah so, it, it yeah you know, um, i can't believe like kira's nose never shifted or something no, it doesn't. Yeah, they did a good job. Yeah. Um, it's just a small prosthetic, but it works. So, okay. So the event yes. is is important. It is um, because it leads into Picard. It does. So we get an image of Admiral Picard. Uh, he's still an admiral. He's in uniform and he's you know getting ready to respond to these events. Yeah. It's just like a CNN kind of thing. It's like Admiral Picard responds to the attacks. And now there's some important stuff here because you know th that means this takes place before the show. Mm -hmm. um and this very well we we see some of the ships we don't really recognize them right so we don't know who they are yet but they could very well be a, a pretty substantial villain in, in the series and this event from my perspective is is likely a catalyst to cause the Fe the starfleet that will now be introduced to in the picard show and, and why picard left starfleet that's um, fair i think is really what this is intended to show um and to make matters more complicated, Utopia Planitia. So there is a comic book, a three issue comic book. Two issues are out now. Um, that is kind of like a countdown to Picard. 
and it's supposed to be canon and it's supposed to tie into the series. And in it, you learn that Jordy is a commander at Utopia Planitia and he's helping run the shipyards. And so theoretically he would be there during this time period. Now we don't know for sure because the comic and this don't necessarily line up time-wise with each other, but there's a very real possibility that Jordy was there when that happened. So that leaves three options. Jordy has survived. Jordy has been injured. Jordy has been killed. Now he could have been on any type of leave, so there's a fourth less likely option of him just being off planet. Right, but. yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly interesting and it's concerning. And uh, our buddy Zach, who's been on the show a few times, uh, mentioned that, you know, this could also play into why Hugh's returning. Right. Um, because, you know, Hugh and Jordy were friends. Hugh considered Jordy his his first real friend as, as a Borg drone um, in iBorg. And he even asks about him again in Descent. So... This could be Hugh holding some type of resentment against Picard because Jordy dies. And Hugh's already had some resentment against yes. Picard because, you know, he blames him for giving him individuality and then sending him back into the Borg to fail. So there's there's a lot at play here. Now, this is all speculation. You know, we right. don't we don't know for sure. Um, Jordy could be fine. Hugh may have no idea. I mean, we don't really know. Like, but I, I'm just kind of making some edu- educated guesses. At this point, off character, off screen character deaths are usually cop outs for writers. And I truly dislike them because it robs the fans of closure to a certain degree. Someone as pivotal and as loved as Jordy. Getting an off-screen death, I think, is a disservice to the fans, including myself. Um, you don't have to bring every cast member back. No, but. no. But a lot of time has passed. You know, we're looking at, at almost two decades of time here. And so to have one of the main characters have died during that time period isn't out of the realm of possibility. That's Absolutely it's not. Certainly... Like, real life actors from yeah. the show have passed well, it's just in that like, time. So when I, think I get of, it. When I think of bad off-screen deaths, I think of ones that occur in the movie that I'm already watching, right? Like Cyclops and X-Men 3, right? Where you could have shown it, but you just chose well, not I to. Well, I think the ultimate one is Newton Hicks in Alien 3. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that's, a good, that's, a, that's a good example. And I guess one. we just and, have to wait to see Newton. if this, how this plays yes. out. But, you know, a lot of people are a lot of people have died. I mean, Romulus was destroyed. The whole planet mm. exploded. Millions of people are dead. Bi- probably billions of people are dead. Right. Um, you know, the whole quadrant is going to be shifted power wise and things of that nature. So there's this is a very different time period than what we left in Nemesis. You know, when we left off in Nemesis, the Federation and the Romulan Empire were both vying for power while the Klingons were kind of just standing by. And now we're going to see a situation where the Klingons have probably taken over the entire Romulan Empire at this point because there is no central home world anymore. That Romulus and Remus are gone. Um, and, you know, that we know that that will impact Picard in some way because his he commanded the rescue fleet. Yeah. You know, and Jordy was command was commanding the group that was building the ships for the rescue fleet and all these other things. So it all ties in together and we'll just kinda have to wait and see what happens. 
Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else on Children of Mars that you'd like to point out? Uh, both child actors were absolutely wonderful. They they did a great job of conveying emotions at the time. You know, showing their anger and happiness and fear. And uh, I thought they were just awesome. I doubt we'll have any reason to see them ever again because the point was to put a survivor face to the tragedy Mm -hmm. but i hope those kids get work in the future if this is the path they want then they're very talented and they should keep going fair enough all right well then that's going to be it for us on short treks season two children of mars and the animated ones um Next week, we will be back to kind of wrap up our Picard conversations. We have some other stuff we want to talk about to kind of put a bow on top of prepping for Picard. So if you haven't listened to our prepping for Picard episodes, please check that out. Or you can go to heroespodcast.com and look up my top 20 quintessential Picard episodes. I did. I wanted to note that after the first season has come out, it would be fun to maybe revisit your list and possibly Voyager and kind of adjust and see which ones people should really, really watch. Yeah. Um, maybe do it in an article or a quick podcast as opposed to reviewing all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I definitely would have made a different list for the show knowing now that Jerry Ryan was returning, for example. And Hugh. And, and that Hugh was going to be um, a part of the of the show. So I've mentioned it before. Like, I would have included Iborg and Descent, you know, and there's several uh, seven episodes that I would have included from Voyager. But, you know, my, you can still use my list because my list is, is top, top 20 quintessential Picard episodes and I think at the end of the day the episodes I picked are quintessential for who Picard is not necessarily the plots of the Picard show right and that's really what I wanted to do was really help people define the character and see who he is as a person last we saw him I honestly think he did a great job I really enjoyed the the journey (laughs) I appreciate it um and you know, that's, that's, that's that then. So we'll be back next week to kind of wrap all that stuff up. And then we, we do have plans to review each episode of Star Trek Picard season one, all 10 episodes weekly. So, um, you know, keep an eye out for that and you can come talk Trek with us. On... Are you skipping the Super Bowl day? Cause you usually record on Sundays well, we'll, or are you we'll changing? Record, we'll, yeah. we'll just record a different day. It's not a big deal. <laughs> um, but, um, we, um, we have lots of Trek conversations online. We have a new Facebook group, Red Shirts and Runabouts group on Facebook. You can come and join us there and talk Trek. We have a pretty strict spoiler policy, um, you know, so that way people don't ruin the show. So if you want to be able to talk in a nice, safe space for Star Trek uh, without things getting ruined for you, uh, come check us out. Or you can hit us up on Twitter at Red Shirts Pod. Ray, where can people find you? Well, I already dropped it earlier. I'm mostly active on Twitter. I've kind of slowed down the Facebook and Instagram stuff, but you can find me at Siren Ray on all three platforms. Awesome. And I'm, of course, the Star Trek dude. And my co-host Greg is at the underscore Bittersteel on Twitter. So you can come talk to us out there. We are Red Shirts and Runabouts. You can talk to us at Red Shirts Pod or find us at HeroesPodcast.com. 
All of our shows are available now on Spotify, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, and more. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash heroes podcasts. We're working on some new tiers and we could really appreciate any support that you might want to give us. Um, we will tune in next week with you and talk more Trek. Live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.